I very clearly remember the feeling of like, oh, fuck, this was a mistake. I'm actively dying right now and that's not what I want. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, aren't very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, I want to thank everybody who has joined me here on this podcast since we launched in July of 2020. And of course, to all of our listeners. Thank you. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And a heads up, we are working on two different projects. One revolves around suicide attempt survivor stories, and the other is an update. And we're going to start with our guests from 2020. I will be sharing more and reaching out to some of you soon. But if you are curious about either of those projects, by all means, reach out. Back to today's episode, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, so it may not be a good fit for everybody. So please take that into account before you listen. But I do hope you listen because there's a whole lot to learn. Today, I am talking with Anastasia, aka Anna. Anna lives in Colorado, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. How's it going? It is going pretty not bad. How are you today? (laughs) Okay. Where do you live? By the way, where where are you? Uh, Colorado. So let me ask you this, Anna. Oh, number one, thanks for joining me. Why did you reach out? I am really comfortable talking about my previous suicide attempts and enjoy talking about it. And I enjoy your podcast. So um, I thought, why not? I guess. Enjoy. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why do you think that is? I'm not going to ask you a million why questions but i don't think most people enjoy listening to stories of maybe i'm wrong i don't think the case i very rarely get to hear people talk about stuff that i've experienced in a way that's open normally people are they're not very comfortable talking about it so hearing people comfortable sharing i guess is is nice from my perspective okay glad you found it glad you reached out glad we're here where does the where do you where do you want us to begin in terms of your own attempts and or recovery and all things in between? So I, I just wanted to start with my first attempt. Yeah. That makes the most sense to me. So I called my mom for dates just to get like a really good timeline. Uh because I honestly wasn't sure. Um your mother helped you remember the dates? Yeah. Um, so my, my first attempt, I was eleven. It was in two thousand eight. I'd been going through a lot at the time. My my current therapist had just died and I got put in a inpatient facility because I, I did not handle it well. At the time I was like, I had a genuine phobia of needles and I got really agitated easy and a, um, 
I got injected to calm me down. And when I woke up, I immediately um, grabbed a pair of pants and tied it around my neck and passed out. And they had to cut the pants off of me. And that was my first attempt. 11 years old. Yeah, right? 11 years old. Do you have any idea what was, is, did you want to die? I did. You were not fucking, 11 year old Anna wasn't fucking around. No, no, she was not. Like I said, I was terrified of needles. And one of the agreements um, my mom had made, she'd promised that I wouldn't be injected when I was there. And I was already having a really difficult time. I got into the inpatient facility and I was literally immediately injected. And when I woke up after the drugs were off, I was like, even my mom is lying to me. I'm not safe. There's no point in living if if I'm not going to be safe. Which, by the way... If I may add, and you're not, I know you're not talking to me for me to validate anything. Like, I get that. But just for what it's worth, because, you know, we we talk about these things as if the person who makes this decision is so fill in the blank, crazy, illogical, irrational, impulsive, right? And when I hear you say that stuff, I'm like, it kind of makes sense. If you feel no safety, maybe I'm the loony. Maybe Sean's weird. I kind of think that's a decision that isn't, that seems pretty well grounded. Yeah, at the time, it it genuinely, it made the most sense. And I think as an adult, that makes sense. If you're not safe and you don't see yourself ever being safe again, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't work. You're in the hospital. Yeah. You're 11 years old. Clearly, your mom knows a lot about what you've gone through, right? From what you've shared already. So that's a whole yeah. another interesting part of the conversation, I think. And you get out of the hospital, right? So I got out of the hospital. I was there for about two or three weeks. A lot of unfortunate things happened. I got injected multiple more times. Um, I get put on a medication that made me so weak. I couldn't walk for a couple of weeks. Um, I was in a wheelchair, (laughs) not ideal. Um, I got my first official diagnosis, which very strange choice on their part. Um, I was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. No, not right. In my opinion, a strange diagnosis for an 11-year-old, but... um, I I don't know that much about schizoaffective, but yeah, right. Yeah, I got out. I started doing a little bit better, but for the next next six, seven years, um, I was in and out of hospitals. I committed or attempted suicide unknowable amount of times. And my last attempt, I was 16, and I overdosed on medication and was in the ICU for two days. Mm. And that was really, I guess, more eye-opening because every other attempt I'd had was very, like I did genuinely, at least I thought at the time that I genuinely wanted to die, but I'd never even gotten close. Um, The closest I got was when I was 11. And when I was 16, I, I took like every single pill in the house. I got in bed. I started to fall asleep. I jolted awake and realized that I made a mistake. And I grabbed my mom and was like, I messed up. Luckily, I I vomited, but it had already been like quite a while since the pills had been in my stomach. So um, my blood pressure dropped and I ended up in the hospital. But that was the point I I realized I didn't actually want to die. At 16? Yeah, at 16. What do you mean when you say an unknowable amount of times in between then? So for the most of that time, I was on and off medication. So I don't have a good memory. I know that I was pretty much any time I was alone, I was attempting suicide. It, mm-hmm. it was just like a constant stream of, of different attempts, which is 
I'm glad that I didn't end up succeeding, but it was just constant. My parents were scared to leave me alone. I, I, w- I was not in it to survive. So what was different about 16 when you, you tried and it sounds like you, something was different. So I, I honestly, I don't, I don't know when my body actually started shutting down and I just like jolted awake it, my entire perspective on it changed, I guess is the best way I could put it. As an adult, I realized I just have ruminating thoughts of suicide constantly. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to, to separate them from, I want to kill myself and my, I think I want to kill myself. As a, as a teenager, I wasn't able to make that distinction. I, I couldn't separate the two. And I think when I turned 16, that's really when I, when I started to realize it wasn't that I wanted to kill myself. It was just ruminating thoughts of suicide. And that was, that was probably the biggest turning point in me stopping attempting suicide. Um, that and actually being close to death and realizing like that, that was, that was the end Mm. there, there would be no more after that was helpful. It's unfortunate. I, I had to get close to dying to realize that, but. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any idea why? I very clearly remembering, remember making a plan. I had planned to crush up all of the medication into a yogurt and take it so that it would take longer for me to vomit it back up. But for whatever reason, and I asked my mom and her wife if they could remember why I just, because I I remember getting mad. I got really mad and just took everything Mm -hmm. um, that I could find. I don't know what set me off. The two months prior, I had, I had gotten arrested. I was raped. It was just like a constant, terrible mess of stuff that happened in a two month period. I guess it just all in that day, I was like, this is, this is done. I can't handle all of it. Mm. I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough question. I know. Yeah. No, I'm not supposed to ask that. You know that, you know, you can't ask somebody why. I'm like, I don't know. Can you not? You can try. You can ask. They might not know. Um, it might tell you to go fuck yourself. I don't know, but uh, you can ask. <laughs> so, I, and now what are you, about 24, if my math is correct? Yes, I'm mm-hmm. 24. 24. You made it to 24. I did. Yeah. Okay. And since 16, that, that attempt, you've not tried again? No. Um, I've definitely seriously thought about it. I think when you're a teenager, you know, a lot of teenagers are making plans on what their life is going to be like. And I, I didn't do that. So mm. I had to, I, I've had to figure out what I wanted to do. And that's been very difficult. You know, people around me all had these dreams of growing up and, and doing things. And I didn't have that. Um, I had no intention of making it to adulthood. Mm, right. So how do you live your days now? What are you doing? Right now I'm working as a behavioral health tech in a hospital. So I'm in school, which was exciting. I just got my GED last year. Yeah, I was going to ask you, particularly at 16, like, do, are you able to finish high school? Are you, what's your life like? Yeah. I did not. The constant in and out of hospitals put me very behind in school. Basically, freshman year was my last mostly completed year of high school. Um, and after that, I wasn't really able to go back. Um, and then when I was 16, because I got arrested, the school I was going to would no longer accept me for enrollment. 
because I had been in juvenile detention and enrolled in school there. What were you arrested for? I got arrested for assaulting a police officer. It was an accident. I had run away from home and a police officer grabbed me and I don't remember any of it. He didn't identify himself. So when he grabbed me, I thought some random person was grabbing me and I turned around and hit him in the face. Um, It was caught on camera. So they, they charged me with assault on a police officer. It was unfortunate for me and the police officer there there was no winners in that situation yeah no um, but you're, you're literally taught to do that if somebody grabbed you told to do you did what you're supposed to do or, or the, the, that's weird fucking yeah for a free for a, this is a different conversation too i just want to say this though for a free and progressive society we are so punitive it's really funny to me like laughable how punitive yeah. we are as a culture and we don't even think about it like, oh, of course it's like uh, anyway because then it fucks up your whole life. Okay. Yeah, I was I was very lucky um, because that happened when I was 16. I was not charged as an adult. It affected me a little bit, but not, not enough. I have issues as an adult. If I'd done it literally two months later, I'd probably be getting out of prison last year. I definitely lucked out doesn't seem right, but I, I did in the grand scheme of things. 17 is a weird age. <laughs> you can... Be tried in as an adult, but you're treated as a child. Right. And I definitely, I don't think most 17-year-olds know that. If I hadn't gotten arrested at 16, I think things might have turned out different. I definitely would have made a dumb mistake. Things would not be where they are now. Right, right, right. right. You were headed for sure in the path of major self-destruction in some form. Yeah. If we look back at your life, early teen years to teen years, I imagine from what you've shared, it's just, there's a lot of stuff, moving parts, not great challenges. I mean, even in the stuff you've shared thus far, I'm like, okay, wow, that's hard. (laughs) You know? It did not go well. I would, uh, 10 out of 10, not recommend. 10 out of 10, not recommend. And you have uh, siblings or no? Yes, I have uh, one sister. Was her path a little smoother? No. She did not have the suicide part of it, but her path was definitely not smoother than mine. She had a lot of issues with substance abuse. Um, she's doing great now, but her, her teenage years were also not unscathed. She right. did finish high school though. So, you know, All points right. in that direction. Sure. So you got your GED. Cool. If you didn't either too, but it sounds like something yeah. you want to be doing. So good for you for that. Your mom is somebody who knows a lot about what you've gone through. It sounds like, right. You literally asked her before we talked to help you remember some stuff. Yeah. So is she somebody you can talk to or is she more just somebody who can remember stuff for you? It depends on the topic. We we do talk really frequently to she worries. So like I can talk to her, but sometimes I choose not to because I don't want to worry her. I mean, I, I think hearing that your child wants to hurt themselves or attempt suicide is I mean, I, I think anyone hearing that, that's a, that's a difficult thing to hear. But especially, you know, when your kid is attempted, it's, it's hard to, to hear that conversation right. and have it constantly because it's, you know, it's, it's something that hasn't stopped for me and it's probably never going to stop. So I don't talk to her about suicide very much anymore because it's just, it's a constant conversation that's never going to end. And I think that it, it's unfair to put that on someone and have them constantly worry. Maybe this is the last conversation. I could talk to her if I chose to, but I, for the most part, don't choose to because I, I just don't think it's fair. Yeah. She is very understanding when I do talk to her though. Nice. 
Yeah. So you so you are someone who continues to ideate somewhat regularly, it sounds like? Yeah, I do. It's probably three to four times a week. But it's been but eight, nine years since you tried. I very clearly remember the feeling of like, oh, fuck, this was a mistake. I'm actively dying right now and that's not what I want. That plus my little sister, when I attempted, would not speak to me. She was so upset that I was planning on leaving her. And like, I, I care about my mom and I care about how she feels, but seeing how negatively it affected my sister really, I think had the biggest impact on me. That definitely reminds me like, no, you don't want to kill yourself. This is just a thought. It's going to go away. Um, and some days, you know, that, that thought process is harder to get to, but I've gotten really good at it. I've been <laughs> wanting to kill myself for over 10 years now. You're probably fantastic at it. Yeah, for the most part. Um, occasionally, you know, it, it gets too much. I'm, you know, going to school, I'm working full time. And there, there's a point where it's like this, this is too much and I do break down, but um, it happens very infrequently now. And I, I definitely hope I don't ever, I guess, let my guard down to my thoughts. I hope that never happens. Did you get a diagnosis that you think is accurate? Correct? So my, my last diagnosis was PTSD. So I, I have questions on it sometimes. You know, there, there's additional symptoms that I don't think are characterized by PTSD, but right. I'm not a mental health professional, so I can't really speak to that, you know? I, I think the, the ruminating thoughts of suicide are really the thing that makes me question the PTSD diagnosis as the singular diagnosis. You know, that, that, is, that is my current diagnosis. So tricky. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think, at least for me, at the point I am in life, um, I'm not taking medication. So having a clear diagnosis doesn't really matter. I know what my issue is. I know the coping skills and, and ways to deal with it for the most part. So having a clear diagnosis wouldn't help me as much. I think when you're, you're trying to figure out the correct option, and I, I think if you're looking for medication and like current treatment and you haven't figured it out yet, a diagnosis is important. But for me at my stage, I don't think it's important anymore. Yeah. You said something about coping mechanisms. If you're comfortable sharing, what's one or two that works for you? I have a, like a comfort TV show um, and it changes, nice. but um, it's really good for me if I'm having thoughts that can't stop having something that's very familiar. I watch shows over and over again. And the more familiar I am with what's going on in the show, the better it helps me to get over whatever is going on in my head. New shows definitely don't help. I think it should be the opposite. I think that a, it would make more sense for something I've never seen to distract me, but it, it does not work that way. Um, right. I think it's just the comfortability and it feels safe and familiar. Yeah. So that that's always very helpful. But wait, what show are you watching these days? Do you have one? Yeah, um, I've been watching Avatar The Last Airbender pretty frequently. It's uh, That's cool. Yeah, it's between that and... Um, New Girl are probably my two main rewatches for comfort shows. We call them. Yeah. Comfort shows. If that doesn't work, I typically, I I'll call someone and try to talk and I, I don't typically tell them what's going on because again, it's, it happens so frequently that if I did that, no one would want to talk to me. It's a tough spot. I was going to yeah. ask you people to talk to. It sounds like kind of. Yeah, I do. I, I'm very good at 
you know, calling someone and being like, hey, how's your day? And using that as a way to just distract myself from what's going on. It, it's very rare. I, I tell someone it's just, it's difficult. Um, I think most people haven't been around suicide at all. And to hear someone that you genuinely care about thinking about killing themselves. And I, I don't think it's intentional, but they, people seem to take it as a something wrong with them. Like I'm not a good enough friend. My friend genuinely <laughs> wants to harm themselves. I don't want to make anyone feel that way. That's obviously mm. not what it is, but you can't stop someone from having thoughts, you know, but, but that's where I'm at. I, I can't stop myself from, from thinking what I think. Maybe not always, of course, but for the most part, it's probably not a lot to do with what that other person's doing. They can't do much else to help you in terms of, you no, know, I just want, when someone hears this, I, I can never make absolute statements, but the idea that, oh, you should, as a friend, you could do more, be better. Like it might not be that, right. It might not be about that. Yeah, it's not. And additionally, like if I, if I do tell my friends about it and let's say I, I do end up attempting suicide, they're going to think like, well, maybe if I had checked up on them more because I knew, and I don't want anyone to ever have that thought. I've had friends that have completed suicide and, you know, I I've had the same thoughts, like maybe why didn't I reach out to them that day? Why didn't I Mm -hmm, insert mm -hmm. random anxiety thought here? And I don't, I don't want to have someone thinking that about me. I don't want that to be, you know, how they remember me. So how many people in the world outside of like hospital staff know about your attempt or attempts? I mean, it might, I know you had more than one. I am comfortable talking about it. I always have been, you know, I, I've self-harmed for a large portion of my life as well. So it's very clear to anyone that's within talking distance of me that I've had some kind of issue. I think instead of letting someone just like, what is, what is that? And then just never say anything. I bring it up because it's very clear. I have something going on and I would rather it come from me than someone come up with some random ass thought about what my life is. When you bring it up and I know we're sort of generalizing here, so it's probably it's tricky, but I find that people don't know how to really respond to these kinds of things, but how do people respond? Every person is different. Um, yeah. Some people it's like an instant, oh, that's that's not a person I want to be around, um, which is fine. Is that okay? You're not like, go fuck yourself a little bit? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not very nice, but I'm not, I'm not going to force something on someone something's, someone's not comfortable with. And I, I understand it. Um, again, suicide is a, is a very emotional, hard to be around thing. And, you know, some people are, are they're so kind um, and they're so nice about it. And other people, you know, they're just like, okay, <laughs> thanks for the info. Um, and we go about our day. And occasionally I get really, really weird, inappropriate questions. Cause I'll, I answer people. Like if you're going to ask me an inappropriate question that is either intentionally or unintentionally made to make me uncomfortable, I will answer in turn and you will be made uncomfortable. Uh, I would say that's probably the most common to be honest. And I don't, it's unintentional. People are they just want to know. They're curious. Hopefully, you know, I think. Yeah, hopefully. You know, some people are assholes, but I, I, I would like to think most people aren't. But I would rather them say the uncomfortable questions with me and me give them very frank, uncomfortable answers so that when someone that maybe they're closer to has a similar issue, they don't ask those questions. You know, maybe that is an inappropriate question and I shouldn't ask that. And I'm comfortable answering it. Other people aren't. Yeah, I think for me, a lot of it's how it's framed. 
Like there's not that many inappropriate questions. This is just how I take I have my, my thoughts on things. When someone asks me a question about whatever it is, it's how it's, it's like, it's the intention behind the question. If you're just being a dick, then you're being a dick. But if you're like, hey, I have a weird question I want to ask you. I hope it doesn't offend you. Is that cool? That's a different thing than just jumping into yeah. a question, right? You're framing um, it. Yeah, that I'm okay with. Most people in my experience don't do that. They just, right. well, why did you, why did you attempt? And like, I don't think that's a weird question. I think that's a fair question. But then I, I answer. And normally when I'm referring, I refer to my last attempt because uh, it just makes the most sense being like, well, which time do you want to talk about? Yeah, sure. um, it's kind of a weird answer. Um, but, you know, I, I mentioned I was raped. And then for some reason, people just like hone in on it. Like, who raped you? Why did they rape you? Like, what what happened there? And it's just, it's strange. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know, people are weird. And again, I'm very comfortable answering questions. But if you're going to answer things in a way that's disrespectful, I'll I'll answer back. I agree. Yeah. People are weird. They are weird. Yeah. I don't mean that as a bad thing. I'm, I'm a weird person. Yeah. Um, weird is not necessarily bad, but um, in this, in this, those kind of people are weird in a bad way. I would say. Right. What's one thing, this is a question I don't often ask, but for some reason I want to ask this question day to day, maybe even more than day to day, sort of hour to hour. What is it like to be you? Cause it sounds like you do struggle a fair amount. Yeah. And I always imagine anyone who's struggling, which by the way, kudos for the, like the work you do in school. Cause, because you're, it's not as if, Oh, I tried when I was 16. I decided to live. Everything's great. It's not that. No. Right. Right. And I do think there are people who might think that. So it's worth, I think saying, Hey, no, no, no. Anna's probably struggling really hard every day. What, what's it like to be you that you think people don't get or understand? I would say confusing. What it's like to be me is confusing. My entire life is a is a contradiction. I want to kill myself, but I really want to live. I want to continue, you know, school, but I, I don't because school is hard and terrible and I hate every second of it. Um, <laughs> it's not <laughs> laughing at you at all. It just sounds funny. I think it, it's very confusing. My life is confusing. Um, I try really hard to be confident and like this is this is what I want to do but like I don't know um I don't know what yeah confusing is is the best way to describe what it's like to be me because I'm I have to fight every single second to to do basic tasks um to get up in the morning is difficult have a conversation with someone can be difficult depending on the day um and I don't have a choice I made the choice to not attempt suicide anymore and I have to live with that choice and sometimes it's an upsetting choice sometimes I'm I'm mad that I didn't complete suicide and I'm alive right now I'm mad at myself and that's a confusing thought it's weird to be mad at yourself for being alive yeah yeah it's an interesting word confused like yeah but that is what life can be I, I this is just my take on it you know, I think a lot of people have a hard time with, with nuance and the gray. It's black or white. A lot of what you're saying is it's no, it's not black or white. It's I can I'm 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 glad I'm alive. I'm not glad I'm alive. I want to work. Yeah. I don't want to work. I like I hate school, but yeah. Yeah. And those conversations, if they're going to happen, aren't quick conversations. They're actual conversations that take some time, I think. Yeah. And I think that's hard for people. I don't get why. I don't like them. 
Do you think you'll make it to 30? You're 24 right now. You have five plus years. You making it to 30? Most likely. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's where it's at now. Most likely I'll make it to 30. If we're talking at 30, you think you're going to be in a car talking to me? Potentially. I like my car. Um, I've been homeless. <laughs> I've lived in my car. I'm very comfortable in my car. How did we not talk about you being homeless? There's all sorts of stuff we need <laughs> to talk about, man. Yeah, I've had a, a strange, a strange go at it. I moved to Colorado from Texas and I lost my pay- place to live when I moved here. And it is very expensive to live here. Um, so mm-hmm. I ended up living in my car for about four months. Wow, that must be really, really hard. It was. I think for the most part, it wasn't too bad. It was the summer, so I wasn't freezing, which was nice. I learned a lot of safety things. I learned people have no boundaries when you live in your car. I had people like knocking on my window just to talk because they saw someone in their vehicle, which was very strange. Interestingly enough, I think people are more uncomfortable with the fact that I've been homeless than the fact that I've attempted suicide, which I think is strange. I would assume it's the other way around, but um, people will ask you questions about being suicidal. People don't ask you questions about being homeless. It's like a taboo. Yeah. Super taboo. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That makes me think, what else do we not ask questions about? If we don't typically ask about suicide and we almost never ask about homelessness, it just makes me think, because if that's the case, then I want to have a show about that thing. (laughs) Being homeless is a is a rough life. Yeah. I had it very easy. I had a car. Um, yeah. Most homeless people don't have that. I was safe. No one attacked me when I was homeless, which again, like, I'm very thankful for that. That's not the case for most, especially homeless women, but homeless people in general. Though I do think there's yeah. more and more, I don't have data on this, but anecdotally, there's more people who have cars who are homeless now. Yes. Who are like that sort of rung... Uh, little emergency away from being homeless and then it happens and they have a car, but they have nowhere to go and they don't have a home. And yeah, it happens. It does. A lot of people are paycheck to paycheck. And I think that's the other thing that frustrates me about it. We should talk about it more because a lot of people are literally one paycheck away from being in that situation. And they need to know, you know, what that's like so that they can be safe in that situation. And, you know, people don't want to talk about stuff that could actually happen to them. And that, that might be more what it is. You know, I think most people realize, especially, you know, if you're working minimum wage or slightly above that, that's pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and that's uncomfortable and you don't want to talk about it. Um, right. I think most people think, oh, I'll never commit suicide. I'll never think about suicide. I'm not, you know, the, the quote unquote stereotypical, I'm not a selfish person, which is such a weird take, but you know, to me, it's a take that's born out of just complete ignorance, but yeah. Um, I would, I would definitely agree that, you know, I asked the question around myths and that's one that comes up a lot is the selfishness one. Is there something else yeah. that you think is, um, and by the way, that could be, you know, given, given what we're talking about, it doesn't have to be just suicide. I'm just, you know, from your point of view, in terms of anything, homelessness, assault, you want to call bullshit on that, that comes to mind. The, the selfishness thing really does, does take me off. I might have to rephrase it. But um, that wanting to attempt suicide is an active thought, I guess. You know, it's, it's something that can just pop up. You're not necessarily having a terrible day or having a bad time. You don't have to be someone that had something bad happen to them to want to attempt suicide. And I think it's really unfortunate that people 
or either like they either themselves make themselves feel this way or other people, you know, you, you haven't had a hard enough life to want to attempt suicide. I think that's, I guess the biggest myth. I don't, right. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Right. Yeah. Just the right. thought that, you know, only people that have had very awful, difficult lives think about suicide, I guess. No, I think that's a great talking. I mean, I think that's something really important to talk about. It's so hard for people to wrap their heads around. And but we could point to plenty of examples where we can literally prove well-off people, for example, complete suicide or attempt suicide. I think, the, I don't know the numbers. It's just, what the fuck, people? What's even more bizarre to me is how you can assume based on what you see, a car they drive, the home they live in, even their disposition that they're okay or not okay. Yeah. What, what is, what, why do you, why would you think that? Ignorance. <laughs> like, sure. No, look, no, look, yeah. look. If I have to make a choice, somebody who's very well off, seems happily married, good job versus somebody who's homeless. Okay. If I have to make a bet, not that I would, cause it's not the fucking squid game here or some shit, but <laughs> like, all right, who's more likely I'm going to go with the person who's homeless. I might be wrong. You know, like, okay, I'm leaning in that direction because yes, having some money and having a safe home and a family might, it might help. But man, I don't think, here's the thing that bothers me, Anna. Well, there's a lot of things that bother me. <laughs> and this isn't a loaded question. I'm not looking for anything in particular. Just, I just wonder who, like the people that need to hear this, they get it. The people that are hearing this get it. The people that don't. The person that I want to say, look, stop assuming that this person's okay just because they're well-dressed and have a nice car. I don't know. Do you think there's anything we could say, you could say, anything that they would like, oh, now I get it. I heard that podcast episode with Anna in Colorado. I get it now. Or I get a little bit. Or is it just, nope. The best way I would put it is, you know, trauma is an event that is experienced that has an effect. And you've lived a nice cushy life with seemingly no issues um a small blip to someone that's had a lot of issues is a major blip and mind shift for someone who's had a nice cushy life i think that is that's probably what i would say that's yeah. um i it makes yeah. sense a lot of sense and also i, I also want to add like you just don't know what's going on inside unless you go there yeah. you don't you don't Man. Yeah, some people also just they they get a they get bad luck in, in brain chemistry. They're just hundred yeah, percent. Just uh, that they they drew wrong. Got unlucky. Yeah, I think our culture really loves thinking that everything we do is in our control. Everything yeah. we do is a choice. Everything we do, if we work harder, uh, it'll work out. And that I kind of just don't think that's true. Of course, there's some truth to that. You know, yes, but I don't know. We're like weird about like no, nah, you just got unlucky. It would make more sense if, if that's how we talked. Like, right. But it's not. Not typically, no. No. What else do you want to add, Anna, in Colorado? Thank for One, thank you for talking with me. I really do appreciate yeah. it. In your car. By the way, is that a station wagon? It looks long. Um, it is a Honda Pilot. A Pilot. All right. I've had several conversations with people in their cars. It's <laughs> not an uncommon thing. I mean, in terms of the podcast. I want to add that you may have been thinking about before or during our talk. I guess uh, very cliche, but it's okay not to be okay. I just, I, I think more people need to need to remember that it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to have bad thoughts occasionally that that just hang out in your head. That's okay, and uh, it's very okay. 
Cool. All right. Well, listen, I hope your day goes well and uh, I appreciate it again. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for talking to me. All right. Take care, Adam. Have a good day. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Anastasia in Colorado. Thank you, Anastasia. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And again, stay tuned for more information on our survivor stories, as well as updates on guests from 2020. I will be reaching out to you in the coming weeks. That is all for episode number 99. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.